0: Hey everybody, welcome to Health Hackers episode 16. I'm Gemma Evans and this is my series devoted to getting inside the minds of some of the most pioneering figures in health and wellness. My guest today is Dr. Stephen Lin, functional dentist and author of The Dental Diet. Over the next 30 minutes, we're going to be discussing how you can achieve the healthiest, strongest and best looking teeth, gums and jaw for you and your children, according to Dr. Stephen, and some of it might surprise you. Stephen, hello.
1: Hi, Gemma. So great to be talking on the other side of the world.
0: Yeah, all the way in Australia and I'm in London. Stephen, firstly, I love it that your Twitter bio describes you as an interior designer for mouths. What a brilliant job description to have. But you're also known as a functional dentist. How would you explain what the functional bit means?
1: Yeah, so somewhere... Um, early on in my career, I began to think about, you know, why dental diseases happen. And, you know, unfortunately, there's a, it's something that the healthcare um, profession, we, we do get a little bit stuck in this idea of treating disease instead of understanding why they happen in the first place. And dental diseases really are, for the most part, chronic, uh, where 90% of them are preventable. And that means that the processes are happening for a very long time. And so functional dentistry is about understanding those processes long before they become diseases and preventing them and trying to reverse the flow on effect that can uh, happen from when we see things happen in the mouth and how that relates to the rest of the body as well.
0: Now, you talk a lot about the effect of lifestyle and evolutionary factors on our teeth that I've never heard any other dentist talk about. What was it that led you down this path rather than the more kind of conventional dentistry one?
1: Yeah, it's really interesting because our jaws and teeth hold, you know, most of the data we have on our human ancestors. What we find in the uh, archeological records really are that, um, you know, jaws and teeth survive the longest in, uh, and that's what we dig up. And that's what we study. We basically give our ancestors a dental exam. And so, what I was really surprised to find was that uh, when you look at anthropology uh studies and um you know the, the history of our teeth is that dental diseases don't occur full stop. That's so tooth decay really? uh, gum disease. Yeah, they don't happen. And if you this was that was exactly my reaction, Gemma. What I because I, I got a hunch about this from a guy named Weston A. Price who did a a stud, a worldwide study looking at Teeth um, in 14 cultures all around the world in the 1930s, and he used the the anthropological record in each place to kind of frame the context of how the modern diet changes teeth. And so, but when you look at all the studies that have happened um, since, and a guy named Robert Corrucini has performed hundreds of studies in different contexts on people's teeth and their jaws, you don't find dental disease, that's tooth decay. Uh, gum disease but the big one that surprised me was crooked teeth so why we need braces today that doesn't happen and that's actually wisdom teeth impactions included so for the most part of human history um, humans have grown 32 teeth uh, into their mouth without any uh, need for braces or wisdom tooth surgery and that was a real kind of awakening moment for myself where I realized that what we see in the dental surgeries today is vastly different from what our human ancestors and Biology really is designed to to be.
0: That is fascinating, and it's it's been compelling reading your book, The Dental Diet, learning about your focus on the effects of diet, nutrition, and breathing correctly. That was another thing, uh, in order to have great jaws and teeth. Um, would you explain to us what it is that you can tell about a person's health just from looking at their teeth when they come and see you at the clinic?
1: Yeah, so. Teeth are probably one of the, the most critical things that we, uh, that we, we judge people by when we, um, when we identify people. Faces really are a, the most powerful human trait you can have if you think of families or um, good friends. You know, you'll know their face and it's actually etched into your mind. And we know this by studies that show that babies will actually identify with more symmetrical faces and they'll actually be more attracted to those people. And we find symmetry more attractive. That's why Hollywood stars have you know lovely um, square jaws and cheekbones and teeth. Really, are the foundations of that. So they're set into the upper and lower jaws. And so when we have a nice straight smile, it echoes this idea of symmetry and health. And so when you're looking at someone's teeth, you're really giving them a biological um, you know uh, exam on you know their their genetic. Um, Fitness and, and their um, evolutionary um, you know, kind of history as to their health. And the real thing that really kind of sprung out to me thats something I didn't learn in dental school is that a straight smile and a wide jaw uh, not only equates to a nice, um, you know, not nice teeth, but it also equates to a wide uh, airway. And so something that you alluded to just before the breathing was that when you have a straight smile and when you look at into the anthropological studies, we see that the, the history of our airway has gotten much smaller and that's where, so when kids have crooked teeth, the results on at the top of their airways that the na- nasal sinuses are actually cramped as well. And this is a big problem happening in society. Probably one of the biggest health problems on the planet, Jenna, that we, our children aren't developing their smiles properly. And subsequently their airways aren't developing as a result.
0: So it, you talk a lot about this in the book and there's actually, there's a chapter called It's Not Genetic, How Crooked Teeth Are Caused by Poor Nutrition. So if this is all down to poor nutrition, does that mean that by what we're eating, we can prevent getting wonky teeth or crooked teeth? Presumably what we feed our children can dictate whether or not they end up wearing braces. Is that is that your view?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So what we've found is that uh, if you look at the anthropological studies, that the when we see malocclusion or crooked teeth is what we call it, uh, when that pops up is when we start to eat the modern diet. And so what we can, and I think what we really need to do is start to frame and understand how jaw development is influenced by environmental input. And that chapter that you're talking about deals with epigenetics, and this is the whole idea that our DNA code is much less set than what we um, have previously thought, you know, we're not dealt uh, these fate cards that our genes, um, you know, when we're born, we actually, our environment plays a big part. And this is really important with the jaw. And so one thing we found with, uh, when you look at the historical perspective is that when we take out the physical act of chewing, so using the jaw in a musculoskeletal way, then we don't, uh, the bones don't develop and the teeth, um, are then more susceptible to to be um, cramped and crooked, and so that's one factor that our jaws and teeth teach us about nutrition is that chewing is a factor that we need to do. And one other um, arm of evidence in this is breastfeeding. And so when a child is um, a newborn is born, it uses its tongue to push a mother's nipple up to its palate, and that actually expands the palate out because it's soft like wax. And that physical force actually um, helps to grow that palate out and helps the child to uh, create a nasal posture where it will breathe through the nose and, and have a nice wide face. So that all starts off and that goes right throughout life. All of these epigenetic messages feed into our jaw and jaws and teeth and our, and our dental arch is the result in the end.
0: So is that what we want? We want to aim for a wide jaw. Is that a healthy, good jaw? Is that what one looks like?
1: Absolutely. So one way to judge it, um, Gemma, is if you look uh, into, the, um, into the mirror and look at the palate. And The roof of the mouth. The roof of the mouth. Yeah, so exactly. So if you look into the mirror and at the roof of the mouth, w- uh, what we should see is a nice wide U-shaped palate. Now, what we see in children today is you'll see a high, very V-shaped palate. And it'll be very, um, you, you know, you'll barely be able to touch it with a finger. And what that indicates is that uh, the maxilla bone, which is this this the upper jawbone here, is thin and cramped in a way, and that w- that will result in an upper smile that's um, that's crooked. But th- as we said before, it also results in nasal sinuses that are crooked as well. So those kids can't breathe through their nose, and then that that leads to um, to unfortunately uh, further. Um, deformation of the, the jaw where we don't get this forward growth we get this long face and crooked teeth as a result
0: so do you think that crooked teeth um breathing difficulties later on are all caused by an underdeveloped jaw from childhood and that is caused by modern living processed food that we're not chewing enough
1: is that what you mean so- the, the chewing is one factor. So, uh, the body is taking in many different messages to grow. So, it's basically using all the resources that we give it. And chewing and physical force with breastfeeding and, um, you know, hearty fiber and um, gelatinous foods is one factor. Now, and the other factor that I think we really miss and that I really try to go into in my book are the fat soluble vitamins. And this is vitamin D, vitamin A, and another vitamin that we don't hear about very much, vitamin K2. And what these nutrients do is they actually direct calcium in the body. And calcium is crucial for building bones and for strong teeth as well. And so without enough vitamin D, we don't absorb calcium. By definition, we only absorb 15% of um, the calcium in our diet. So it basically falls out of us. But then what we really have missed and and what the research, you know, we uh, really have to um, pin a lot of uh, research from a lot of different areas together here is that vitamin K2 works with vitamin D to distribute calcium uh, into the bones and teeth, and that's out of our soft tissues. And so without these fat-soluble nutrients, our body doesn't have the raw materials to grow. And we know what happens, for instance, with vitamin D deficiency in kids with rickets. We have uh, you know, leg bones that are, that don't support weight, and, and they have low bone density. Um, the same, This is the same thing we're seeing in our faces, is that we get this... Functional adaptation to bones that haven't grown enough because we're not giving them the right fuel.
0: So, what would be the vitamin-rich foods that you would feed your children to help them develop great jaws and beautiful smiles?
1: So, the foods that are rich in these fat-soluble nutrients are ones that we've actually stripped out of the diet in the last, you know, thirty or forty years, uh, with the idea that low fat um, and uh, and certain animal products are, you know, cause heart disease, and this kind of links into the whole cholesterol and and um, diet heart hypothesis. But the foods that really are rich in these um, nutrients are their animal products, and the reason for that is that uh, vitamin D, for instance, in its active form that our body needs, uh, comes from animal products. That's vitamin D three, and so you only get that from foods like organ meats, uh, egg yolks, uh, grass raised dairy. Uh, cheeses, these sort of foods. And these are the foods that we've demonized somewhat. And um, the same with vitamin A and vitamin K2. So vitamin K2 uh, is actually converted from vitamin K1, which is what we get from uh, green vegetables, spinaches, that green um, color is the vitamin K1. Now that's converted into vitamin K2 in animal form. So egg yolks, organ meats, um, things like Japanese natto actually has um, a rich form of vitamin K2 which is a bacterial form and then the last is vitamin A from um, uh, which we convert uh, in its most active form retinol and you would probably recognize vitamin A from carrots and, um, and things like uh, uh, colored vegetables but the active form of vitamin A comes from the animal form so These fat-soluble vitamins require fat, and that includes saturated fat to be absorbed into the body and assimilated in the body as such. And they direct hormones and they guide bone growth and the development of our teeth. And we've really taken these out of our diets. And if you look at um, ancestral cultures, they really did treasure these foods to make sure they got enough of these nutrients, especially in people that were expecting um, to have – to be – Pro- procreating, so having um, children, so they would eat uh, diets rich in fat-soluble nutrients for 12 to six months before conceiving, and then right throughout pregnancy, and then children would have these diets rich in this. So it's something that we've somewhat lost. And if you don't think about it in the modern day, I, I guarantee that most people, you know, you don't get enough vitamin D if you just go and measure your um, your levels you know, a lot of us are operating at uh, biological levels that are, you know are far lower than what we need. Do
0: you think that the whole low fat thinking for the last couple of decades has actually harmed our teeth then? Because we will have been missing out on a lot of those essential nutrients that are sometimes found in fatty cuts of meat or real butter.
1: Yeah, it absolutely has. And real butter is a great example because, you know, for a long time we replaced um, you know, real butter with with margarine. And we know margarine is devoid of these fat-soluble nutrients. And uh, the vegetable oils, refined seed oils that we have, um, you know, that we've you know, thought were healthier really are devoid of these nutrients completely. So um, there's two prongs to, I think, the, the low-fat diet that has been harmful. And one is that we've replaced fat with sugar and simple carbohydrates, and that. Um, you know, for one, it drives tooth decay. And so that's, you know, why we um, see, you know, such high rates of tooth decay, you know, both in the UK, Australia and US, um, because we are consuming so much um, simple carbohydrates. Uh, but then the other side of it is that we've stripped out these fat soluble nutrients. And so I think it really is two prongs. And we've really seen that, you know, the result of that, um, the low fat movement doesn't, solve um, on one end heart disease and obesity we've become more overweight and we have become type 2 diabetics but then on the other side our teeth have become worse so kids today if you think about the generations um, you know 30 or 40 years ago how many kids got braces today you if you walk into a schoolyard you probably see you know seven out of ten kids with orthodontic work and that's because our jaws aren't developing and so I think we've missed the message there you know in our mouth you know, what we really should be eating and unfortunately we've done a little bit of a harm with the low fat movement.
0: So you think that the reason we've all got braces, I have braces too, is to do with the fact that we're just not eating enough real good food like our ancestors ate?
1: Absolutely. And if you um if you look at, for instance, um the way our ancestors looked at that, they treasured these kind of foods and some of the things they um you know they, they would observe is that if couples, for instance, would, uh, if they ate diets rich in these foods, they would have babies with nice round heads. And, and that's how, as simple as it was. You know, this baby's got a nice round head. That shows good craniofacial development with nice stable airways, upright um, head posture, nasal breathing, um, tongue to the roof of the mouth, which is going to direct that, that jaw growth. And then if they continue that diet throughout their childhood, then they're going to have straight teeth. And that's why people for, you know, millennia, they didn't have... Uh, wisdom teeth impactions, they didn't need braces uh, because they ate the right foods.
0: This is so fascinating to me because I had a lot going on with my teeth as a kid. Maybe you could shed light on it because, um, although I should say that now I'm very happy with my teeth and my dentist is thankfully pleased, but when I was younger and my adult teeth started to come through, two of them never appeared, they just never grew. Um, I think they're called the lateral incisors right next to the two front teeth. And no dentist was ever able to tell me or my parents, as far as I'm aware, why they didn't grow. But it meant that I had this big gap between my two front teeth because there was all this extra room. And then to make matters worse, I sucked my thumb as a child. Then I had buck teeth with a gap. And eventually I had corrective braces, which were pretty painful. But even before that, I had like this temporary wire frame inside my mouth to bring the alignment back into position, which meant I couldn't speak during the day while I was wearing it. And then years later, you mentioned wisdom teeth. I had all four wisdom teeth removed. Uh, They were impacted. Now, from your functional dentistry point of view, was that all caused by me having an underdeveloped jaw?
1: So what, um, the the, the tooth? I I can take
0: it if it's a yes. (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, look there are genetic factors for that that do predispose certain people to missing certain teeth and you, you do have a very lovely smile and modern orthodontics it has great um uh, tools now to correct um and that's that's the beauty of modern dentistry as well we should definitely say that that we have excellent tools to correct things uh, and and deal with you know acute situations um we're really understanding why that happens so what um, what the studies show is that if there is a restriction on space in the, in the dental arch, so in the, in the jaw, so what happens is that tooth buds have to pop up in the, in the, um, in the jaw as a child is developing. If there is a restriction on space, there is pressure on that tooth bud to appear. And so in certain people, if there's enough pressure, that tooth bud will never appear. So that's one theory as to why that some teeth won't appear. And we see it a lot now it's for instance, there's, it's close to twenty to twenty-five percent of people just don't get. I don't. I didn't have lower wisdom teeth, and it's likely because my lower, the lower back end of my jaw. We should really have another, you know, fifteen to twenty percent of um, uh, jawbone here growing, and and when that uh, we don't have that space, the tooth bud doesn't have the the messages to form. So that's one pressure. So if you if if it's a run-on effect. In development the body just kind of says well there's not enough space and we keep going basically
0: well thank you so do you think it is that i just have an underdeveloped jaw then and that's was it my early years poor nutrition i thought i had quite good nutrition and i was breastfed but maybe it was a genetic factor too
1: well this is this is it's it's genetic and epigenetic. So your the the your mother's, for instance, levels of vitamin D. So in um in the UK, you know, obviously it uh, Not much sunshine. Yeah, yeah, very, very little, you know, besides the last few weeks, there's very little sunshine. And yeah. so for vitamin D levels in breast milk will be passed to a child. So what we see I'm seeing a lot in the practice today is that kids that um you know potentially are um you know in these nutrients, even when they are breastfed. And we, we actually, I think we're a long way where we should be in terms of the, the actual levels that we should have. So we probably think today that, um, you know, the amount of um, uh, vitamin D, for instance, the studies that show that we're a long way below where we think actually what our body needs. Mm-hmm. And so the other factor is, is that um, kids, there's some studies in uh, Pennsylvania happening where the the newborn jaws are being shown to be underdeveloped compared to what generations before, so actually kids were born with more forward set jaws um, than they are today. And if you look at newborns, today, they do have the jaws that are very set back, and the chi- the very the the chin that really no chin in a way. And we've yeah. kind of framed this as normal, but that's if you look at the anthropological studies, humans they had nice straight. Um, uh, chin in line with the rest of the face so that, and that's been put down to breathing so in um uh during pregnancy sleep apnea is a big problem so when you have a small jaw you potentially de- deprive um the fetus of oxygen um because when you sleep you, we have an increased rate of snoring and so and, when, and
0: that can make the baby have a setback lower jaw if if you're well, not getting oxygen as, as the pregnant mother
1: yeah, so it's likely it, that's what the, these studies that are looking into. I mean, they're they're not published yet, but it's the we know that, for instance, low oxygen um, environments. So if you um, it it has an effect on the fetus, so it'll be a smaller fetus, and, and they'll have epigenetic uh, play on throughout their life. So the and we know that sleep apnea is a big issue. And so what it's kind of saying is that small jaws breed small jaws. So we're we're slowly slowly going down a line where we were just so far anthropologically where yeah. we where we're designed to be
0: what, what can we do about that i've actually got a couple of viewer questions uh one from rich how can we change the shape of our jaw if we're unhappy with it now as an adult when we don't want to wear braces
1: so this is this is where functional dentistry really comes in so you can expand the palate. so the, the palate is basically the centerpiece of the face and in the uk actually they can look up what's um uh, mike and john new who uh who run a um uh, a type of orthodontics called orthotropics and they develop the face. And so it's mainly focused on kids, but the principles are to, if you expand the bone and you can expand the bone in adults as well, just by sending um, uh, messages via a, an orthodontic device, you can actually change the shape of the face of an adult. And Really through,
0: without, without braces, it's a device that's sort of in and out temporary, is it?
1: Well, so yeah, you can expand the palate so you can wear it at night and it will, and it, basically it wears, uses a little screw to put a force to and what it does is it puts pressure on stem cells to form and you can we can expand the the adult um, arch uh, you know it's, it's a lot less than what we can do in kids but it is possible and in certain people who have for instance obstructive sleep apnea and difficulty breathing through the nose there is some very good um, you know outcomes where we see we can potentially reverse um, pretty serious sleep disorders just by helping someone to breathe through their nose by getting them more nasal space because when you expand the palate they get more nasal space by definition
0: and you've got breathing exercises in your book as well if anyone wants to see how to help expand their breathing um i've got another viewer question from eve can you ask dr lynn if extreme austerity during world wars could have altered dna in people so that their children would reap the results of a poor and sparse diet can this be corrected several generations later
1: well, there was, I mean, they have studies of this from the, the Dutch hunger winter. I mean, that was published in 2007 that, you know, when you have the um, you know, there was starvation in uh, in the Netherlands and they showed that it does have a, a generational effect. Uh, the, the great thing about epigenetics is, yes, we can reverse it, but so what um, there was a, actually a, a cat study called Pottinger's Cats where he, he took cats off their um, native diet and he showed that it took four generations for the, for the cats to, to die out on a, on a processed diet. And um, so four generations to die out. But what he tried was that in that third generation, he put them back onto their, to their uh, raw meat diet and it took four generations to heal. So three generations of damage took four generations to heal back to what the original cat's health was. Mm. So it shows that uh, you know, our, genetic, our genes take a bit of healing time but it's possible and so but uh, i really think the message is there that we need to start now because i think we've if you look at children today and the issues they're having you know we've moved a long way from what we really what we're designed to be
0: so your your best advice with the diet and nutrition now and how we can reverse the damage what would that be
1: so foods focusing rich on fat soluble vitamins so well sourced uh everyone has to and so Eat, eating organ meats and everyone's a little bit, um, uh, a little bit squirmish about this, that, but we need to get back to foods that are rich in fat, soluble nutrients, um, egg yolks, no more um, egg white omelets, um, butter, no, throw the margarine out, uh, replace it with butter, full fat dairy, no more low fat um, dairy because it just doesn't make sense. And so these foods have fat, soluble nutrients and they're the really nutrient dense superfoods that our body needs. And then, on top of that, you know, we need to remove the foods that are causing damage, and that's uh, sugar, uh, refined flour, and the refined vegetable oils. If you re- remove those out and nourish the body, then I think we're giving it the tools to heal. And you know, we, we see really profound. You know, the, the mouth can be you know one of the first places you see benefits of this,
0: and correcting our breathing so that we're getting proper oxygen to our brains and any potential baby growing inside us, so that they yeah. have. That, according to that's story. a
1: great point exactly so oxygen is the number one nutrient i didn't mention that um but exactly so nasal breathing so eight hours of nasal breathing at night that is the probably the uh the most fundamental way that you can nourish your body and uh if you don't feel like you breathe through your nose through, through the night if you wake up with a dry mouth or you snore or you grind your teeth that's a sign that you're not breathing correctly and you should certainly look at if you do daytime breathing exercises, yoga, diaphragmatic deep nasal breathing, it can train you to uh, breathe uh, through the nose comfortably uh, throughout the night.
0: So, just train yourself to get used to breathing through the nose rather than the mouth. Is that a good
1: thing? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, is it true that you don't use toothpaste, and is that because you've tailored your diet so perfectly you don't need the extra cleaning agent?
1: Well, the, the thing about toothpaste is that we. We've only um, you know, used toothpaste for a few decades. You know, It really is a bit of a marketing tool. I do use toothpaste. I don't use supermarket toothpaste. And the reason is that um, a lot of toothpaste is actually uh, based around being antibacterial. And one aspect of uh, dental disease is that we've really focused on killing harmful bacteria. But the human microbiome, we now know that we live alongside trillions of of uh, beneficial probiotic bacteria, and that includes the mouth. So, we have bacteria in the mouth that protect us against tooth decay and gum disease. And when we kill these bacteria, uh, we're actually sending a, a much less biologically diverse population to our gut. And so, there's, there was a study that came out last year that showed that people that use alcoholic mouthwash every day increase their risk of type 2 diabetes, pre diabetes. And so, we know that the gut, uh, the the gut microbiome profile of people with type 2 diabetes is less diverse so that's showing us that when we um when we lose diversity in the mouth we can translate that to the gut and that whole process can just translate through
0: yeah there's a lot about the gut microbiome in your book which is really interesting because i've had guests on health hackers before where we've discussed the gut brain connection and this is more about the kind of gut mouth connection and i'm a big fan of fermented foods I had one thing I was wondering the other day. I was drinking some kefir, uh, the fermented, it's a fermented goat's milk drink, the one I was drinking. And I was thinking, oh, this, well, this is during the time I was reading your book. I was thinking, oh, these little bugs in this kefir, this is probably really good for my gums. I'm going to swish it around a bit. And then I thought, but do the milk acids attack the teeth? So am I doing harm as well as good?
1: Well, there's actually studies, most of the studies, there's a smaller amount um, of looking at the oral microbiome, but they are based on milk-based um, species, so lactobacillus uh, species that, that we find in fermented milk drinks. And what they do is they do release acids. So lactobacillus, they release lactic acid. What that acid does is it inhibits harmful bugs. So what probiotic species do in the mouth is that they they actually stop the the um the growth of the bugs that do cause disease so the release of acid you know we've kind of seen it as always harmful but the the overall ph of your mouth is a a balance between trillions of bugs and so we should see that what's happening in a fermented drink you know for the most part is beneficial you know you can go overboard and cause acid erosion by having too much you know kombucha or um too too much acid profile in the mouth but Overall, we want those probiotic species and a, a diverse biological um, environment that protect us against disease causing bacteria.
0: So, um, you don't use supermarket toothpaste. Do you use like a natural, non fluoride one?
1: Yeah, I use, there's, there's a couple that I use. Uh, there's one, um, there's a, a coconut based one. Uh, some, some of them use um, baking soda or activated charcoal every now and again. It's a little bit abrasive, but um, it, it it's not bad for um, kind of absorbing um, certain things that cause a bit of tooth staining. But, you know, the real thing about toothpaste is that, you know, it really is like, you know, taking a car with an engine problem to the car wash. Uh, you know, you're dealing with a very small um, aspect of uh, what's, um, you know, you, 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 don't, you need to look under the bonnet if you've got an engine problem, um, you know, not simply just, you know, wash, wash the paint job.
0: Um, I haven't used fluoride in my toothpaste for a couple of years. I'm not against using fluoride I just prefer my non-fluoride paste and uh, when I was at my dentist a couple of weeks ago She was she was nice about my teeth and I said, oh Well, that's good to hear because I haven't used fluoride on my teeth for a long time Maybe a couple of years and she was really shocked. She was like not even in toothpaste And I said no Um, which really surprised her because I guess she's been telling me for years my dental practice to to keep using fluoride but my teeth have been okay for a couple of years uh, using toothpaste that sounds quite similar to yours so is it a lie that or I mean not an intentional lie but is it is it an untruth that we have to use fluoride to have good teeth in the long term
1: yeah, it's not true that, that we need fluoride to have good teeth because, uh, you know, for the most part of human history, we didn't have fluoride or or for the most, most of humans didn't. Um, but when you look biologically what fluoride does, it acts on a very, on the tooth enamel. So it's incorporated into tooth enamel to uh, increase its acid profile, uh, its resistance to acid. And um, when you look at what the tooth uh, actually has in, in place to protect itself against decay, Um, you have an immune cells inside the tooth and that if you feed uh, your body the right thing, which are those fat-soluble nutrients, because these are part of the osteoimmune cell, which is uh, manage your bones and teeth, then your body has an automated uh, immune reaction to uh, the bacteria in in your mouth. The other side of it is if you balance the oral microbiome, so if you have healthy bacteria, they also protect you. So you've got cells in your mouth that protect an immune reaction against tooth decay. You've got bacteria that should be protecting you. Fluoride is acting on a very small you know window between that. That you know there are clinical applications of fluoride. If we have rampant decay, we can put it topically and, and that can help. But in terms of using as a, the paramount um, you know approach to prevention, it doesn't make a lot of sense.
0: We are just about up on time, but this is so interesting. I've just got to ask you a couple more questions. Um, From the book, there was something that really shocked me, uh, the potential heart attack warning in our mouths that you talk about. Can you give us an outline about that?
1: Yeah, so most people know that when they go to the dentist, you know, for your six-monthly clean, they get the, um, the scaler out and they get behind that painful bit behind your front lower teeth. And most people know that you get that little bit of, that plaque buildup behind your teeth is called dental calculus and that's calcified dental plaque. And what happens with calcified dental plaque is that you, you get a, a plaque buildup on your teeth. Everyone does, but some people get a very thick calcified buildup and that's what, why why you get it behind that front teeth is there's a salivary gland that spits out um, calcium rich saliva there. Now the issue there is that the people, I see people that get very, very thick calcium uh, Calculus build up on their teeth. And the reason is not that they're not cleaning. They'll actually clean their teeth quite well and they'll have good oral hygiene, but they still get this build up. Whereas someone that doesn't clean their teeth will not get the build up. And the difference is how their body uses calcium. And so the link goes back to that nutrient we talked about before, which is vitamin K2. And so what vitamin K2 does is activates proteins that carry calcium in the body. And so if your body um, if, if you have enough vitamin D and you have enough calcium in, in your diet, you will absorb calcium, but you won't be able to distribute it. You won't activate the K2-activated protein that carry it into bones and teeth, and it may calcify your plaque. But the other side of it is that a study in 2011 showed that women who, um, who actually uh, take vitamin D supplements and calcium don't increase their bone density, but they increase their risk of heart attack. And the reason is that their soft, uh, they're, their cardiovascular system actually calcifies because they're getting these little bone spindles in their, uh, in their arteries. And so the coronary calcium score is now becoming uh, one of the most accurate ways to measure cardiovascular risk. And it's the body's calcium management, which we can see on that buildup in your teeth. If you get calcium buildup in your teeth, we see it in kidney, uh, people with kid- on, um, kidney failure and dialysis. And that's because the, the body is not managing um, K2 and calcium. And so it should be, you should think of what happens in in your, um, around your gums is also happening, uh, in in your arteries and vessels as well.
0: Wow. That's fascinating. If anybody listening is taking medication or calcium as medication, don't quit it. Just talk to your doctor about it. We're not giving out any medical advice, but that is really, really fascinating to hear. Um, can I ask you a couple of quick questions? Do you floss?
1: I do floss, yeah. So flossing, I find, is good for gingival health. Uh, There's a lot of plaque that gets built up between. I find it keeps gums healthy. Um, Yeah, I I floss daily.
0: Is it true that we should, we definitely have to floss every every day, twice a day?
1: So the studies that, that in 2014 in um, yeah everyone asks this question no one wants to floss The <laughs> dentists have been trying to get people to floss for years <laughs> the truth about flossing is that the studies aren't conclusive on the benefits and but from everything we've talked about today Gemma you you see that there's more to the more to the picture than just taking away that 30% of floss uh, plaque sorry that fits between the teeth so Flossing is a tool, you know, I think it does have been, I've seen good, uh, you know, anecdotal benefits in, in myself and in my patients. Um, the it, the American CDC don't recommend it anymore because there's no um, actual clinical, um, they took it off in 2014, you said, you know, it, it, because really? the evidence doesn't support it. Um, but when you put it into perspective of what's happened, there's far more going on. And we've become a bit reductionist in saying, you know, flossing and you know tooth decay. And I really think we need to, be a bit broader and instead of just you know looking at one one factor which
0: if you you have tooth decay is it your body telling you that you are unhealthy and not eating enough fats or your vitamins in your view
1: i think it's a cardinal sign that that's happening because almost by definition it's a sign that your body is in um you know it, it doesn't have enough of those nutrients to manage your the hard tissues which are your teeth you have to remember that in biological systems, tooth decay is very, very rare. That's in animals, that's in history of humans. And if you have a toothache as a hunter-gatherer, if you're out in the, in the wild, there's no oral surgeons, there's no dentists out there, you're going to die because the, an abscess is fatal. And so you have biological systems there that are designed to stop that from happening. And so it's, it's a certain message that something is out of, out of kilter from really where it should be.
0: And finally, tongue posture. This is brilliant. This is a brilliant part of your book. Tell us about the importance of tongue posture in a couple of minutes, if you can. <laughs>
1: yeah. So tongue posture is really important, and the, the, the tongue is an amazing organ. And it, if you, it's really it takes up a huge part of the homunculus, which is the part of our brain that maps the sensory and motor part of our um, our oral cavity, but also all over our body. And the why, why the tongue is so uh, representative there is that. It's posture controls so many muscles. It, it connects to the base of the skull, to the hyoid bone, which is a floating bone just here in the neck. And it holds open your oropharyngeal airway. And your posture is how that happens. If you don't have the, the tongue posture, which sits up to the roof of the mouth, then, then your tongue will be low. And actually, we call it um, a low tongue posture and it'll predispose you to mouth breathing. So the reason why tongue posture is important is that when the tongue is suctioned to the roof of the mouth, we see that you can't breathe through mouth by definition. And so that's actually sealing the oral oral cavity. And it's actually engaging all the muscles in the neck here to hold the, the neck nice and straight, the airways open, and then you can breathe through your nose. So the tongue guides all of the tools you have to breathe and deliver oxygen.
0: What, what can you do about bad tongue posture?
1: What? what so you a few, So a lot of people now have um, oral restrictions. so a tongue tie. So check, get checked for a tongue tie, even in adulthood. If you have neck pain, if you have um, uh, issues with uh, back pain, then it might be the forward head posture. But so you can retrain yourself to uh, to posture your tongue against the roof of the mouth and. One way is a swallowing pattern. So people have forward swallowing patterns and that's where the tongue goes uh, through the front teeth instead of up to the palate. Mm. And so it's basically like a a gym program for your your tongue where you, it's called myofunctional therapy, where you um, train the tongue to sit at the roof of the palate and the lips close. And so you're facilitating breathing, but also the correct um, posture. And in kids, if we get kids to put their tongue to the roof of the palate, their jaws will actually straighten naturally, so that it, so crooked teeth will, in certain stages, um, correct if we just correct their posture.
0: So at rest, our natural tongue posture should be when our mouths are closed, it's it's touching the roof of the mouth, and we're breathing through our nose.
1: Yeah, it's such and it's the whole. It's right to the back of the tongue, gemma. So um, the right to the um, where the, the hard palate meets the soft palate mm-hmm. is really where the, the tongue should be suctioned up. And so what that does, and you should even feel it pressing out against the, the teeth as well. Mm-hmm. And what that does is send that, that expansion message to the, because to um, remember that really that our, um, we need to keep sending that, that epigenetic message to our uh, upper jawbone, because otherwise we you know, over our lifetime, we might slight, slightly lose a bit of, um, a bit of width in our maxilla, so it matters over your life. And certainly, if if you're mouth breathing, you, you can see the patterns. You get certain wrinkles around the um, the lips, um, but and we see that posture has a, has a visible effect.
0: Stephen, this has been really, really interesting. Thank you for running over time with us. Um, listeners, if you like this episode or you liked watching this video, I'd love for you to subscribe to Health Hackers on iTunes. Then you won't miss the next show. And while you're there, you might even leave a nice review of the podcast too because those reviews really matter to me. Thank you. Um, thanks for listening, everyone. And Stephen, thank you so much for talking to us.
1: you, it was such a pleasure. Thank you. Bye. Bye.